Well, we're so glad you've joined us this morning for our Bible study. It's going to be a great one. We're going to continue in the book of First Peter. And so we're doing, we're dropping one of these podcasts and uh, videos every other week. And so we would love for you just to be a part of this. We're going to go all the way through the book of Peter, the two epistles of Peter, and then we're going to decide what we're going to do after that. But uh, man, we're excited about the conversation this morning. And I would encourage you that if these Bible studies help you at all, uh, we would love for you to share them with any of your friends or anybody that you know, because we want to add value to people. We want people to get in the word. We're trying to stir up a hunger and a desire for the word of God, because the word of God can transform you. It can change your life and uh, it can really help you, um, deal with all the things that we have to deal with in our world today. And I think a lot of times we don't really understand how powerful the word of God mm-hmm. is. And we've gotten into this place where everybody's arguing is the word valid. I, I just, here's what I say to everybody. When you have these arguments of, can you believe it? Can you trust it? All this stuff. I just say, read it. Cause there's so many people that <laughs> out there that have all these opinions about it, but they've never read it. And I'm just saying, if you will, with a sincere heart, get into the word of God, you will find out what the effects and transformative power of God yes. are. And so, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, and, uh, I know it's going to help if you want to contact us or ask any questions or make any comments, we, we will read those on, uh, on the podcast and, uh, uh, you can just do that at connect at your connect at your And we would love to hear from you. All right, let's get started. Welcome to the Summit Church If you're looking for a church home, we want to invite you and your family to be a part with us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information about Summit Church, you can visit YourSummitChurch.com. We believe that God wants to speak to you, and we pray that your life is encouraged and inspired through today's message. Connor, why don't you lead us in by reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 4, and let's, let's do 5 as well. Okay, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That's good. Well, uh, let's see. Let's do verse six as well. I'll read it. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Um, And I'm going to read verse 7 as well. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, this first passage of scripture, there's there there are verse three and four. There are probably four operative words there: living hope, resurrection from the dead, eternal inheritance, and kept until the end. And so I want to talk about these. And so the first thing that I would talk about is that living hope, the new birth, uh, resurrection from the dead, what Jesus did in order to affect us in a significant way. So. I think there's a lot of confusion about this today uh, in my mind. I think there's a lot of people have a lot of confusion about what it means to be a Christian, mm-hmm. um, what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
And I think there are several components to being a follower of Christ, but I want to talk specifically about what Peter's talking about here. And what Peter's talking about here is the born-again experience. You guys remember in uh, Jesus' life, in John chapter 3, we see the account of where Nicodemus came to Mm -hmm. Jesus, and he wanted to have this conversation. Nicodemus was this spiritual leader in the, uh, I believe he was a part of the Sanhedrin. And he was a notable leader in the Jewish community, but he saw something in Jesus. And he came to Jesus, and he came kind of in stealth. So at night, he didn't really want to be associated with Jesus, but he did want to figure out what's Jesus all about. And uh, when he came to Jesus, he acknowledged, you're a great prophet. There's no way you're not from God because you've done all these things, and you've experienced all these things, and you've shown us all these things. And the way you speak and teach is just different than any rabbi we've seen anywhere. And so he asks him, how do I have eternal life? What, what, you know, and I think it's interesting how Jesus responds to him because he he says to him, aren't you a great spiritual leader yet? You don't know. And, and I think that's interesting to me because you would think Jesus would be, uh, I don't know, like why point that out? (laughs) It's like, it's like, but what I think what Jesus was doing was he was he was saying to him, Nicodemus, there's a lot you don't know. Mm-hmm. And just because you've had this religious structure around you and you follow all these rules and regulations, you, you don't know everything. And there's things that you haven't seen, you haven't heard, you don't know. So Nicodemus says, tell me how, how to have eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you must be born again. This sounded strange. I mean, and it does sound strange even today. You And Nicodemus had a, a very interesting response, probably the response that all of us in his context would have had. Well, that's impossible. I can't be born again. He said, I'm an older man. He was at least 50 years old. He said, how, how can I, how, how can I um, go back into my mother's womb? That doesn't even make sense. What are you talking about? Basically, that's what Nicodemus was saying to Jesus. And, and Jesus said to him, no, you have to be born of the water and of the spirit. And so this, the theological term we use for this happening or this occurrence that Jesus was talking about being born again is regeneration. It means that there is an interaction between the spirit of God and the spirit of man inside of man, and it changes the man. Um, so he was saying to Nicodemus, You've been born in the flesh. Your, your physical man has been born, but your <clears throat> spiritual man now needs to be born. And, and the re, we're going to reference that, say, born again. Call it being born again. Um, and, and I think what he was doing was several things. I think, one, he was, uh, he was helping Nicodemus to acknowledge and understand the spiritual realm, the spiritual things, that there's something more than this. There's something more than... Um, just your physical life. There's there's something more than just religious mental ascent. There's more to this. Uh, there's a deeper and a wider and a more uh, intense and a, and a, and uh, a place that expands beyond what you can understand or what you can get. Uh, but but if you want to know God and if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to be in relationship with Him, if you want to have eternal life. You know, so Nicodemus, in his religious context, would have been asking Jesus, what must I do to be saved? That's what you heard a lot of people say, what must I do? Because they were used to 
having to do things to get whatever. So if you do this, you get this. If you do this, you get this. Mm -hmm. And Jesus was saying to him, no, no, no. It's not about what you do. It's about what God will do in you if you'll surrender and trust him. And so you must be born again. You must, you must get this, make this connection with God. You must have a relationship with him. And uh, when you have a relationship with him and when you trust on him, something happens to you. Now, I want to talk about this for a minute and then I want to get, I want to get your discussion. But, you know, there's, there's, this, the, there's this thing that we do in Christian churches today called an altar call. And I just want to, I want to be clear about this, uh, this idea, which I am not opposed to at all. And we do it a lot and it's a point of faith, but it's not biblical. And what I mean by that is there's no altar call in the Bible. You can't find one. Now you can find times in the new Testament when the, uh, the, the, the uh, apostles preached and the Holy Spirit fell and many people gathered and then they were saved. Yeah, Yeah, they heard the word and then they were saved. But there's no altar call per se where we preach the word and then we give an opportunity for salvation and blah, blah, blah. Because salvation looked a lot different in the New Testament church than it does Mm -hmm. now. There's several things about salvation that that look a lot different. And, 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 And in our context, it's say a prayer, and accept Christ, and pretty much that's the end of it. Now you're saved, now live your life and follow God, or do your best. And for them, it was a lot different. Um, it was a, number one, I'm, I am believing on Christ as my Savior, and then there was, then there was this thing, and it happens to us too when our, when, when, when our conversion is authentic, that's this regeneration. So mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit touches my spirit, my dormant spirit comes alive, and now I, I, this, this, I want to be righteous. I want to be holy. I want to pursue God because something that was dead in me is now alive. Yeah. And then um, there's this, then there's this commitment side of discipleship, where it's not just about God change me, God come into my life, forgive me of my sins, so I'll go to heaven. But now it's like God change me, and now I'm committing to follow you. When they would be baptized. In uh, those days, there were some families that would actually have a funeral for their the members of their family that converted to Christianity because to them they were dead. And that's what they were saying to the whole entire world. I am dead to my past. I am dead to the world as it was. I am dead to the sins in my life. I am dead. And now I am alive to Christ and whatever he wants for me. So there's these two components. And I think, I think we have... Wanted we wanted people people to be saved so much, and we've gotten a little bit into the numbers of it. We had this many saved, we had that many, oh, yeah. and that's great, and it's beautiful. We want to measure that, mm-hmm. but but it's so much more than just saying God come into my life, God forgive me of my sins, so I can go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Because in their life, yeah. it wasn't just that they were dying to themselves, but it was also that salvation was an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. This is why the Apostle Paul said, "Work out your own salvation." So salvation, sanctification, <laughs> life change. All renewal, you know, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. This is an ongoing thing for us. It's not just a moment in time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people will get saved during that prayer and then they leave it right there. That's it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And 
And to a great degree, that's our fault. So what is regeneration? Regeneration is this. When the Holy Spirit touches your spirit, there is a change. Now, we all have a soul and we all have flesh, a carnal nature. So when we're saved, we are regenerated and we're saved. We're on our way to heaven. We have a relationship with God. We're born again. Are we going to be? Are we in a place now where we can no longer sin? No. Of course, you can always sin because we're human. But something changes on the inside of us. My concern with a lot of Christianity today is that it's cultural. And a lot of people are saying, I'm a Christian because I believe that this is the most, this is the most true religion I can find. And culturally, they're Christian, just like, a Buddhist is a Buddhist, or a, 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 an Islamist is a, is, a, is a Muslim, or you know a, a Hindu is is a a, a Hindu. It, it's I have a system that I believe, but and I'm working inside that system to become what that I'm supposed yeah. to become. Yeah. But that is not Christianity. There is an occurrence that happens when we sincerely come to God and say, I want you in my life. I commit to live for you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. That his Holy Spirit reaches into our heart and changes us. There is a change. And when I, when I, when I don't see that change or when someone doesn't experience that change, I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about your motives change, your idea. You know, like I, the only way I know to describe it, one, one year we took a... Uh, some kids to camp and uh, this woman had been really be praying for her son to get saved and and because he was mean and he was hateful and he would even be mean to their dog and things like that and when they got back the next week after we got back from camp she came to me she said pastor I know my son is saved he's even he's even telling the dog he loves him you know and I think that's what it is all of a sudden we have this understanding of love we have this understanding of life we're not perfect because our soul still needs to yeah. be changed. Our mind needs to be renewed. There's a lot of things that still need to change in us, but the internal workings of us want to do well now because something has happened, yeah. something has changed. And then there's a commitment and uh, to follow Christ. You know, a lot of people look at this in such a, I know I'm doing a lot of, foundational talking here, but I'm going I'm to open it to discussion just a moment. But a lot of people look at this, you know, salvation is literally just that prayer and that's it. And uh, not even acknowledging that there's more to this, it's a sanctification, a process, a uh, growing, a developing, just like you're born as a child. If you stayed a, a little infant and you never learned to walk or you never learned to do any of that, that would be ridiculous. That's called having stunted growth, but we have a lot of Christians that have stunted growth because they never have developed the change in them. And so as we grow, as we develop, as we experience this change, we begin to be renewed. We begin more and more like Christ. That's the goal. And so Jesus was not like we think he was, you know, I, I think we, we don't read the gospels enough and we get this, kind of thought about who Jesus is in our mind. And it's not the same as what you see in the gospels. Like Jesus is this loving, kind, always just very nice person. And he just wants everybody to be in his family. And he's just begging us all, please, please be in my family. That is not the Jesus that I saw in the new Testament. He's like, Hey, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, 
Take up your cross, follow me, right? If you want to be my disciple, put your hand to the plow and don't look back because if you look back, you're not worthy of the kingdom. I mean, hello. Yeah. And, and, and us as modern day Christians, we're like, please, please, please be a Christian. Please, please, please come to our church. Please, please, please serve Jesus. And I think it's out of heart because we love people and we want them to. But Jesus was like, look, you can do this or you don't have to. It's your choice. I love you and I want you to. But this isn't, this isn't some like little prayer. There's more to this. A life change, a heart change, a regeneration, a regeneration. Your DNA is made new again. Yeah. And you change. And then you are to follow this path of renewal until you become more and more like Christ and more and more committed to Christ. I mean, think about being... Think about if you lived in a country where, or you lived in a place, or maybe you you live in a family, that you, if you make a decision to follow Christ, they are finished with you. Yeah. You don't exist to them anymore. Do you continue and persist in your Christianity, or do you give it up because you want your family to approve of you? See, this is the difference. So I wanted to preface all that because, you know, Peter says, we have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We have an, inter an eternal inheritance and God's keeping that inheritance for us until we get to the end. And so how do you feel about a, a relationship with God, about, about, this born again experience about the fact that Jesus didn't just die in place of us to be judged for us, but he burst through the tomb and lives and how that affects us as believers. Where's the confusion? Where's what, you know, what do you see in the world today about this whole relationship with God about what that means? Where's it taking us? Are we really living it? I mean, are we really being, followers of Christ? Are we being culturally Christian? What do you see? What do you feel? What are you thinking in the context of your relationship with God? It's good. I, well, I'm just as you're talking, I'm like, you know, the Bible, obviously, it, if you're a Christian, you know, probably that the Bible likens the church as the bride of Christ. Right. And so I was just thinking in my head as you, as you were going through this, even I think that what we I wouldn't say we're threatened by people that ask questions about the gospel yeah. or that or that are trying to really think through this decision, but sometimes we almost act like that's bad or you should just come to church and immediately, but we see throughout the Bible people that were pondering or thinking yeah. about this. I mean, yes. I, and I was thinking of Philip and the Ethiopian. Yeah. The Ethiopian had been reading. He'd been thinking. Right. God brought that in and then he made a decision uh, to follow Christ, but mm. so we often get a little nervous about that instead of even allowing people, even if it's to come to church or friends that we've developed a relationship with. You know, I love John Maxwell talks about, he said he never gives someone the invite to give their life to Christ personally unless he's already spent time investing in them. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of people are like, what are you talking about? You yeah. Shouldn't you just automatically, Right. we're almost afraid to let Jesus yeah. do his work and the Holy Spirit do his work in people. Yeah. Right. But as you, so I was just like picturing this as you were talking, this relationship with Christ, because we are the bride of Christ. I, I was thinking about it as a marriage should be. Yeah. We know that culture has corrupted that 
and right. we can we go. And this isn't to cast shame on anybody that's been divorced or, or anything. I know that happens, and God can still redeem. Yes, but that's not God's plan. God doesn't right. want us. There's situations we understand with many different things, but you know, in that relationship, you 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 meet someone, hmm. and you start this dating process, or you know, I guess you can. What's the old school term? More courting, co- yeah. court the courting process, <laughs> yes. and um, and so you have not yet made a decision that you're going to spend your life with that person, right? And I do think people hear about God, see who God is, and there's things that's taking place in them. Some it's it's more instant, but then there comes that day where if you decide that you're going to spend your life with them, you you have a wedding, and at that wedding you make vows. And those vows are, as we know, are supposed to be binding. Yes. So you make a vow that you are going to spend the rest of your life faithful to this person. And then we know you consummate that marriage. Mm-hmm. And all the fellows is like, hey, that's what I've been waiting on. Yeah, but uh, yeah. you consummate that marriage, and it says supernaturally, right? You become one. Yeah. So there's a supernatural work. And I just think of this mirroring marriage, the yes, walk right. as we, we make that confession to Jesus. Right, right. And just like we make a, a, a vow and a confession with our words and a belief in marriage, but that's just the very starting point. So now yeah. we're going to live our life committed right. to one another. It takes work. There's yeah. arguments. There's things yeah. that happen. There's growing. Right. But it's this long journey. And with, the, with our walk with God, it's the very same thing. We make a vow and a confession that is powerful. Mm. There is that what the regeneration process begins. Right. We're a new creation in Christ. We're now one with Christ. Yeah. But then we're living it out throughout right. this whole life, right. and it's ups and downs. It's not right. easy. Yeah. But we have made a commitment. I think commitment. I feel like in our society today mm-hmm. doesn't carry the same weight as it used to. No. no. And I think that's 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 the problem. You know, one of the, problems, the, yeah. the analogy you make is spot on in our culture today in both cases. And here's what I mean. You know, right now, you know, Connor's my son-in-law. He, we've been, he's been married to my daughter for almost five years now. And when we did their wedding, man, it was a blast. It, that wedding was off the chain. It was, as the, as the young folks used to say. But a, long time, a long time ago they used to say that. But it was such a fun and exciting deal. We put a lot of it, invested a lot into that, and his mom and dad invested a lot into it. It was just a big deal, and we celebrated them. And that's what people do today. Like the wedding is it. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, now they didn't because they get, went through weeks and weeks of premarital counseling. They've, they, they have a lot of counselors around their life, and so many of our young couples do. But, but, the, but the bottom line is it's almost as if people put more effort into the wedding yes. than they do into the marriage. Yes. Right. And, and, and the marriage is the real part. <laughs> the the wedding is just the beginning. It's just the celebration of, of of coming together. It's not the actual living. And and in a lot of ways, that's how we've kind of absolutely. That's what yeah. we've done with Christianity. It's like, you know, uh, where this was their whole life. Uh-huh. 
Like in the New Testament church, it was their whole life. Were they still tempted? Were they still, you know, were they still distracted? Some of them, did some of them reject their faith and walk away? Yeah, it's just like humanity does today. But the truth is it was was different in the way they approached it. And I think we as believers have to get back to that. And the only way we're going to do that is getting back into this. I mean, really studying the word of God, really letting it resonate with our hearts, really letting it speak to us and realize that, yeah, we had a wedding, but now we need to have a marriage. Yeah, yeah. And um, we don't celebrate discipleship nearly as much as we celebrate the confession, the salvation, yeah, and, like, and, and the great commission, right, is to make disciples, right, make disciples, not make converts. Yes, mm-hmm. and there's a big difference. Converts, well, we're so glad that people have that conversion experience, and it is an experience. I want to keep going back to that because yeah. I know a lot of people they don't. I mean, it's more than just saying a little prayer. Mm-hmm. Right. It's more than just confessing after. It's a, it's a genuineness of your faith saying, all right, I trust you, Jesus. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe uh, that you paid the penalty for my sin. I'm asking you to come in my life, and I'm asking you to change me mm-hmm. and make me a new creation, as Second Corinthians says. Make me a new creation. In other words, something changes. I am not who I used <laughs> yeah. to be. Yeah. And to me... There are a lot of people out there that have not experienced that change. They've experienced an occurrence of emotion or an occurrence of some kind of conversation led by someone else, maybe with God, but have they really sincerely allowed God to change them? And, you know, with a a wedding, there is a change that happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there's a change. Mm -hmm. You become one. Now you're not just you, you're us, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a very interesting analogy and it's very apropos and, and, and it shows really culturally what's happened, not only, you know, with commitments in marriage anymore, but also just the relationship we have with God. What is it really? How, how does it work? You, you know, if you were to just say the wedding is it, and then you go live with each other <laughs> yeah. and you put no more effort in, <laughs> that ain't going to go well. It's going to be horrible. But, like, mm-hmm. but, but isn't, isn't that what we see happening? Even in, let's just talk about marriage right now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, they get married literally within the back of their mind saying, Hey, if this doesn't work out, there's always someone else. We've yeah. been conditioned for yeah. it. Yeah. And, and my thought is, you know, I love what you said a minute ago. We need to get back to talking like this. You know, we always feel like we have to qualify. I know people have gone through it, and I know. And that's all true. Yeah. And that's all we want to show grace. And those things do happen. But listen, when you have a same rate of divorce in the church as you do outside the church, yep. there's a problem. When we need to be saying more, it is not God's best, and it is not God's will for that to happen to you. Mm-hmm. So work it out. Work through it. Get get forward. Yeah. Don't don't go back. You know, uh, I think we need to stop making, ex- I know this is going to sound old school and harsh, but I think we need to stop making excuses for sin and go back to, why did God save me? Well, so I'd go to heaven and that's it. No, that is not it. No. It's far more than that. It's far th- that, so that I could be made back into what I was originally supposed to be so that I could become everything that God wants me to become. Yes. So I can go to heaven. Yes. So my sins can be forgiven, but for the purpose of me being changed. Mm -hmm. And so I can't, it's like this. If I get, if I have a wedding and then I'm married, but I continue to act single, that's good. Even though I'm married, 
Yeah. I'm not going to be married We're very long. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, it made me think, This that sounds weird, but 100% of people that get married have a wedding. Right. But only 50% actually make it through marriage. Marriage, right. So, like, it's it, anyone can have a wedding. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyone can say that and can even confess. But right. if you're going to live it out, you better have, you know, the, the, the tools and the structure yeah. around that marriage to be healthy. Yeah. And and I think obviously, you know, for for us here there's you know, summit there's a especially this is your leading that you're on a tangent, a good one because God's stirring in you about the importance of the word and people knowing the word and what you're trying to do is bolster that 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 in them of what yeah. God has called us to live by so they can live out this healthy life in Christ, the living hope that it's talking about that is different than every other religion. Right. And um and so we need these tools and these building blocks yeah. to continue on this. So you know what uh, I've been thinking about this marriage small group that we're going to be doing and and then we're going into this series a look at love and so I've been thinking about love and about marriage and about these things and I had this unbelievable thought the other day I, I don't know why I haven't thought it this way before but um, it goes along with what we're saying and and that's this I think a lot of times we're trying to reach an, a, a spiritual place from a physical platform. Mm-hmm. Like we're th- trying to th- arrive at spiritual places from physical understanding or, or uh, um, um, just uh, non-spiritual thinking. And here's what I mean by that. We've allowed our commitment, our dedication, our following of Christ to become so menial and casual because we approach it that way. You know, and think of it this way. The, look what the world has done to sex, okay? Think, think about this. The most intimate, the most intimate that you can be with another human being in a marriage context is sex, sexual. Mm-hmm. Also emotional, but that sexual place where there's nothing hidden, everything's out in the open, everything is you know, we're all, we're in this together. We are, we are as close as we can possibly get. And look what the world has done to sex. They've taken the intimacy completely out of it. Like sex now is so casual and, and the perversion of it is so mm-hmm. casual. Like it's just nothing. Mm-hmm. We can get together. We can be friends. And if we haven't had sex and we want to have sex, we'll just have sex because, you know, they used to call it friends with benefits. It's, it's this the world, the flesh, the carnality, the nature of man always bends towards perversion of what is true and right. And so the, the, the most intimate act in a marriage, we have, we have turned it to be the, the, the least intimate mm-hmm. act mm-hmm. on the planet. So what's the purpose then, right? It loses meaning. It loses purpose. Mm-hmm. It loses sacredness. And I think the same thing happens with our relationship with God. When we treat it casually, like it's just some little prayer mm-hmm. and nothing really changes, we're just saying, all right, now I'm going to follow these rules. I'm going to try to, you know, do what my pastor says, or I'm going to try to, you know, be Christian. And, you know, I know I'm not going to do good because I have to sin all the time because I'm carnal and I'm just going to be a worthless sinner all my life. And, but, but God loves me. That is not that is not in this book. As we go through Peter, you're going to hear the exact opposite of what I just said. 
And so what are your feelings on this? I mean, what are your feelings on how that kind of mentality has kind of seeped in to, to Christianity? I mean, I, I, I don't want it to be the truth, but we've got to admit it. And I, I don't think until a lot of Christians admit, look, I have allowed my Christianity to become a very casual, ineffective, you know, fire insurance, as you used to say, just make sure I don't go to hell. And I'm not so sure that's the truth. <laughs> if that's the way you approach your Christianity, I'm not so sure that you're actually going to make it to heaven. And so, I mean, theologically, we're going to discuss this as we go. But what what are your thoughts on this? What do you thought? What are your thoughts on the nature of the flesh, carnality? Sometimes, sometimes when people are listening, we say the flesh. They don't know what are you talking about? <laughs> carnality or that's the the sin <laughs> nature. The sin nature, that that nature within us that has the capability of always taking us in a rebellious path towards God or away from God. So, so do you feel, am I wrong about this or am I right about it? Do, do you feel that this kind of carnal mentality has seeped its way into our faith? And what do we do about it? I think it has. I mean, it's kind of like, I think a lot of, Christians or cultural Christians are in the mindset of the once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of people reside. And because I think I used to, I used to think that honestly, Mm -hmm. when I was younger and like very new to faith, that was just like, Oh, I'm saved. I'm good. You know? And then I think about like the scripture you said earlier of work out your salvation daily, like Mm -hmm. daily crucify your flesh, daily crucify your carnal desires. And that's what you have to do. And I think it's so important of what you're doing every day. Like, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Because Mm -hmm. all of those things are feeding either your flesh or your spirit. That's right. And... It, I think it was best uh, explained to me of where three-part beings are flesh, soul, and spirit. Mm-hmm. And the soul is the battleground of mm-hmm. your flesh and spirit. Mm-hmm. So whatever you feed, your flesh or your soul, is what's going to win and mm-hmm. how your actions are going to come out and what your life is going to portray. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think if we just are in the word and crucifying our flesh and not watching the things Mm -hmm. we don't need to watch and listen to the things that we need to watch, then that's where your life is going to lead. It's good. Yeah. This idea that what you feed your mind, your heart, your soul doesn't affect you is nonsense. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it has to, it It is a, it is a principle. It does. It's basically a principle. Okay. If it's not, if it's not true. Yeah. If it's not true, then why did every, Every known serial killer had a problem with pornography. Mm. That's interesting. Everybody that eats bad food is overweight. (laughs) (laughs) So what you take in (laughs) is what comes out. out. But but I I even want to go back to your conversation about once saved, always saved. Obviously, we're more Armenian in our beliefs here. I don't believe that it's easy to lose your salvation. So I want to be Mm -hmm. very clear. I believe it's there's almost you have to reject Mm -hmm. your faith. But I believe that some people, you know, even even most Calvinists 
we won't get into all the pre predestination and all that today, but even most Calvinists would say if someone is not, their life hasn't changed. The, qu- the question to them then becomes, are they even really saved? Right. Did they ever really genuinely get saved? Mm-hmm. So that leads me to an, I- uh, an idea about what happens to us in humanity. When we try to reach a spiritual place from a fleshly platform or a carnal from our carnal nature, to, you know, the Bible said carnal mind is the enemy of God. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't be thinking with your carnal mind and understand spiritual things. You can't. So you have to get into the word and renew your mind to be like Christ. Mm -hmm. So, so think about it. Um, when we try to do that, uh, we do exactly that. We get this mentality. Once saved, always saved means that if I prayed that prayer, if I prayed that prayer, then I'm good. Mm -hmm. And when I die, I'm going to heaven. Now, that's not even really the theology of eternal salvation is not even, that's not even really that, that theology, right. but we as humanity, yeah. as humans have grabbed a hold of that idea. And we, what do we do? We go to the lowest common denominator. Let's yeah. the least you can do. And I said the prayer, so I'm good. Mm-hmm. Well, really, because Matthew seven, Jesus himself said that there are going to be people that stand before me in the last time. And they're going to say, yeah. Didn't we do this in your name? Didn't right. we do that in your name? And I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. You're yeah. workers of iniquity. You got to go. Mm-hmm. Which tells us a couple of things. Yeah. In other words, you can't live a lifestyle of sin and make it into heaven. Yeah. Right. Period. Yeah. I, I, anybody can argue that with me. Jesus himself said, you are a worker of iniquity. Yeah. In other words, your iniquity meaning that sin nature. In other words, you are living a lifestyle of mm-hmm. sinfulness. Yeah. You're not coming to heaven like that. That's one thing we can understand. The second thing is, um, and some people in their theology would say it this way, well, they weren't really saved to begin with. But think about it. There are going to be people. So it tells us they're going to stand before him, and he's not going to let them in. They're going to be people who not let in. But they fully believe. Yeah. Think about it. They That's fully believe so they're going in. Yeah. And he says, you're, you're, not, you're not going in. So there are going to be people that make it that far to stand before God. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can't come in. That, as, as believers, that should make us go, hold on. Yeah. There's more to this. Now, the other side of that equation is I don't want people having this e- eternal insecurity either, mm-hmm. which is how I grew up. Mm-hmm. In the Pentecostal circles we grew up, I literally thought if I, if I make one sin, like, yeah. like if I was, here's what I literally thought. This is not a joke. Like if I was in a car wreck yep. and in that car wreck, I had, we ran into somebody and I, said a cur- I had a curse word. Yeah. I'm going to hell. If you didn't get a chance to repent of it. Yeah. You had to repent of every sin. Right. And you literally, you right. would be yeah. racking your brain. Yeah. Yeah, and if you didn't do, I had yeah. we had the same. Kind it's a of very confused. So yeah. it's insecurity, and and that's why literally at at sixteen years of age, I would I knew the Bible better than most adults do now, mm-hmm. right? At, at my age, that I know now, I mean, I knew the Word. I'd been taught it my whole life. My dad was a pastor, yeah. but I was so insecure because of that kind of thinking, and so afraid all of the time spiritually. That I just made up my mind, I can't live this life, therefore I'm not even going to try. I, I literally said to myself, guys, this is the truth. I said, I know I'm going to hell. Mm-hmm. I'm just accepting it. This, these religious ideologies can, can cause people to get into this 
weird place, but also us trying to live a Christian or spiritual experience from a fleshly mindset or a carnal mindset can't work. And that's why when I tell people get into the word, it's not because it's a duty to get in, to read the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. It's because you've got to have it Mm -hmm. because that's what transforms your mind and causes you to think of spiritual things from a spiritual place, Mm -hmm. right? And we need the Holy Spirit working in our life. How do you, how do you, what, why, how do you think we've gotten here? Because this is a problem in the church. Uh, You know, my grandfather used to tell me, look, we got to be holy and holiness is important. But his definition of holiness at the time was things like you got to do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't. I mean, there's nothing you could do. Everything was a sin. Like everything was a sin. And, uh, and so that was holy. Holy meant to be, you dress a certain way, you look a certain way. And, and literally, honestly, most of it was outside. Mm-hmm. Everything was external. Yeah. Really didn't deal with your heart at all. But what we, but, but that doesn't change the fact that holiness is important. The Bible says without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. In other words, without a set apart lifestyle, you're not going to get to see God or experience God. So what, what I'm asking is we, this, this is culturally seeped in to the church, if you want to say it that way, like very worldly way of being, thinking, living, doing. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Give me some examples of what that looks like to you and your generation. And then, and then also, what do you think we need to do as believers to help lead things back to a place of holiness, making that important and purity and living right and doing what God wants and not accepting this crazy theology that is just, it really doesn't matter. God loves you anyway. It's okay. What what I call cheap grace. Uh, And grace is bigger than what we can imagine. And it is very forgiving. And it is very, I mean, you know, you ain't going to easily get out of God's grip, Right. right? But the truth is, there's way too much worldliness in our Christian experience today, and it's stealing victory from us. Mm-hmm. It's stealing, uh, it's stealing uh, evangelism from us. It's stealing discipleship from us. What do we do about it, Connor? Uh, that's a big question. You know, I think the biggest thing that comes to my mind is just modeling it the best we can. The thing that makes me really uh, cherish and see commitment is sacred. Is seeing people who have practice the the tenets or the principles of commitment and I see the fruit of it in their life. Mm-hmm. They have great marriages, they love their kids, they're not dysfunctional, there's not always drama in their life. And so I think as leaders in the church, I think just modeling that for people having healthy marriages. Um you know one quote I always go back to Leonard Ravenhill says it, but like when you when you enroll into the University of God, you enroll and you never graduate. And so I think just exemplifying that this thing is a marathon. Right. It's not a 100-meter dash. Mm -hmm. You know, I think kind of like what Scotty was saying and we've been talking about, we expect the 20 minutes of our wedding and the excitement and the emotion out of that to fuel us for 40 years. And you've got to find ways to... When I, when I really figured out, I was probably 19 or 20, when I really figured out that I had control 
over how my mind thinks good. and that I can choose how I'm going to think yeah. and what I'm going to allow to think about. Because a lot of times, this is something you teach, Pop, but we're so reactive to life. And I think teaching people in the church, one way we can get this to stop in the world inf- infiltrating the church and, uh, you know, that old adage, you know, we're so heaven or no, so earthly minded, we're no heavenly good. Mm-hmm. It's almost backwards now. Yeah. Um, or the other way. And so yeah, we, we've allowed the earth to seep in to right. mm-hmm. the church and we don't even have a context for what God wants anymore. Um, we've allowed our methodology to become our theology. Yeah, right. And yeah. so in attempt to reach the world, we don't even know how to live holy anymore. We don't yeah. even know what that looks like. And so mm-hmm. I think modeling it, letting people know that they actually have a choice over decisions they can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to let yes. life act on them. They can act on it. The, the biggest problems I see in people that I know personally is that they feel like they don't have any skin in the game, that they don't even have a decision. Um, in in the Western culture and in America, a lot of times it's the we look at the government to dictate how we are going to live our Christianity, and it should be the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Anyhow, I think modeling it, letting people know they actually have a choice in this. They don't have to let the world act on them and that God can give them the power to do it. Yeah. Um, so. I think, I think uh, we want to make it clear to everybody listening. It's not about perfection. No. No. It's no. about being perfected. And there's a big difference. We haven't arrived and nobody's perfect. As long as we're living on this world, we're not going to be perfect. But it is about being perfected. That's what holiness is. It means to be set apart for the use of God. Yeah. And so uh, we, we have to get to that place where, uh, you know, we allow God to do that in us. You know, I, I used to give this example of this because... People would say, well, holiness doesn't even mean purity or living right. It just means to be set apart for God's use. Well, obviously, God uses people who are weak and people who make mistakes and all that. But let's just be honest. The Bible is is replete with examples of who can be used by God and in, 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 in a better sense uh, than others. And, and, you know, like I was just reading in Psalms today, who can ascend to your holy hill? Who can come to your tabernacle? Those with clean hands clean hands and a pure heart. And so I don't know why we're trying to erase righteousness as Christians. I think, well, I do know, I do know why it is. It's because we're making excuses for sin in our own lives. Yeah. It's like uh, the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart for they, they'll see God. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. So, so my, so my thinking is, you know, I don't want people to think that we're, we're, you know, hardline or we're, we're non-forgiving or anything like that. But we need to understand that grace is more than a covering for sin. It is divine enablement, but a divine enablement to empower us to overcome sin yeah. over the long haul in our lives. And yeah. so um, to change, to change, right. Be renewed. Yeah. There's a change that happens in us that's spiritual. And then there's a literal mental, emotional, relational yeah. change that happens over time mm-hmm. in us. We could talk more about that later. Scott, did you have? Yeah, I was just thinking about, you know, you're asking, how do we, how do we change this? How do we change the, yeah. the, uh, the, the pulling away the, the gap, I think, of how we live our life. And, you know, I think of a lot of people just being in you know, ministry a long time, when I see people, a lot of times they have this spiral that takes place. Right. So it's not the, it's not the, the day you might you might have went this day without a good quality time in prayer in the Bible, but it's that day turns to two days to three days and there's a spiral. So they haven't had the 
they don't have the spiritual discipleship to, to cope with issues and things that come their way. And I was thinking, because this is Peter writing this, we look at the Apostle Peter, the reason that when he went into a spiral, that he didn't continue down that and leave the faith, this is me, I mean, this is me observing, was because he had relationship with Jesus, and then he also had repentance. Yes. And so when he did the thing, I mean, he left his best friend. Right. And so he didn't spiral completely out of control. He repented. Right. Uh, and then he remembered this relationship. And at times I think, you know, we do forget that we're not praying, we're not reading our Bible and doing all this so that we don't sin. Sin's been defeated. Right. We do it to, to build relationship. Right. And so as we become consistent in that, again, come back to it. Don't, if you miss a day or two, you know, or just come back and just make sure it's a, a steady habit over these years, but with the mindset of like, I can't go without this because yeah. when I'm in prayer and the word, I know Jesus better. Yeah, I get to know him better. And right. then when we do things, we don't repent because we think he's going to knock us over the head or we're going to yeah. lose salvation yeah. or we, his grace. But if we're being honest, his grace is towards sinners and non-sinners. So yes. that's, right. you know, and so when, when we, I mean, even me, like if there's a, I haven't had a, maybe it's a day that I didn't get the time that I really wanted in prayer. I have to be careful because of my upbringing like you, mm-hmm. that I won't let that turn into this guilt and shame where I'm like, yeah, God, I know you're angry with me. I'm sorry yeah. I missed prayer. Yeah. But I do think it's still healthy to say, man, God, I'm sorry I haven't spent yeah. the time with you I needed. I just hear, I yeah. hear so much clearer. I see you so much better mm-hmm. when I do that. And come back to repentance in right. a consistent time with Him, right. and over time, the, the things that gripped our life, yeah, as you were saying, Danny, they begin to fall away because we're not feeding the flesh; mm-hmm. we're feeding the spirit. And then I think you even mentioned this in the message a couple of weeks ago. You don't force the fruit of the spirit; right. it grows because of this healthy environment that's being built right. as we're drawing closer to Jesus. Right. So that's what I'm just saying about Peter; he repented sincerely. Mm-hmm. Because he had such a relationship. It's called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. That's what the Bible says. Yeah, now think think about it. When when it's just like you just said. When Peter felt bad, see that's another thing. We have equated feeling bad. Yeah. With that's bad. You should never feel bad. Yeah. Right. You should never feel guilty. Well, if you do something yeah. wrong, you yeah. you feel guilty, yeah. and it leads you to repentance. Right, especially and if you love somebody. Yeah, and let yeah. me tell you, yeah. let me tell you the problem with it. Here's the problem with it: is because I feel like there are believers now that are sh- that are shrugging the conviction of the Holy Spirit because of some teaching that came out not long ago. They're shrugging the con- the Holy Spirit's coming to them saying, "Hey, that's not who you are. Come on, what 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 is that about? Absolutely, that you you know that." That's not right. That's not right. Stop. Don't go there. Don't go. You did. Come on, man. Don't do that. You're you're hurting yourself. You're harming yourself. Don't do that. You feel the guilt. He's of, our counselor. Right. He's counseling yes. us yeah. in this. You yeah. feel the guilt. And what's happening is because now we're calling any feeling that's negative mm-hmm. about spiritual things condemnation. Yeah. We're labeling it condemnation. Well, God doesn't condemn. Oh, the devil accuses it. That's accusing. So the Holy Spirit's coming to people saying, hey, mm-hmm. stop. And we're shrugging him off going, that's condemnation. I'm not listening to it. Yeah. 
that which doesn't lead to repentance. Mm-hmm. Repentance isn't even this emotional, like I'm so bad and I'm so horrible and I'm so bad. No, it's, it's, well, that was wrong. Like the Bible, the <laughs> yeah. Bible says, you know, in first John chapter one, verse nine, it says that we, uh, if we sin, we have an advocate with the father, which is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it goes on to say that if we sin, we can confess our sins and that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from righteousness. Mm-hmm. I mean, from all unrighteousness, that mm-hmm. word confess literally just means to agree with. Mm-hmm. So when the Holy Spirit comes to you and says that was wrong and you're feeling the sense of that conviction in your heart, mm-hmm. then you just go, you know what, God, you're right. Yeah. That was wrong. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. And it's not because there's a rule. It's not because you're going to be mad at me. It's not because yeah. you hate me. It's because you care about me, God, and you love me, and I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt your cause. I don't want to hurt your purpose in my yeah. life, yeah. because anytime God is convicting you or correcting you, I mean, we're not even lo- leaving room for God to correct us. God's not allowed to correct us only if it feels good. That's mm, true. That's what that's out of the thought. Yeah, so what we have to do is we have to switch, you know, we have to switch back and go, wait a minute, God's in control, God's my boss, God's my Lord, but more importantly, God's my Savior, my Father, yeah. Jesus yeah. my elder brother, the Holy Spirit is my counselor, and they are working in my life. He is working yes. in my life yeah. to change me, renew me, make my life better, to become what He wants me to become. I'm not fighting that. I'm not struggling with that. I'm not getting into that weird, like how we grew up of, oh my God, yeah. oh my God. Uh, but I am, I am going to be, <laughs> you know, when Peter denied Jesus, a lot of people don't realize it, but the Bible in Luke, the gospel of Luke says, Peter looked, I mean, Jesus looked on him. Yeah. And I oftentimes wondered, and so I did some research and literally what you see is Peter's down here in the courtyard with the people and he's warming his hands and blah, blah, blah. And they're asking, aren't you a Galilean? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, Jesus was in the upper chamber of the house on top of the house. And they were trying him there and they were, you know, accusing him and all this stuff. And then by that time they were going to send him back to Pilate. And so they take him down the stairs. And as he's going down the stairs, he comes to the courtyard. Peter literally says, I do not know him and curses, yeah. turns around, and he's looking Jesus right in the face. So you, oh my god! I mean, have you ever said something and 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 it was derogatory? You shouldn't have been saying and it, and the person was right there. <laughs> you're like, oh my god, I can't believe I did. Times a million. Oh my yeah. god! And so the reason he came back and repented was because he loved Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jesus loved him. They were tight, man. They, they were, were yeah. their best buds. Yeah. And and here he's thinking, I just said I would give my life. And and it, his mistake and his failing wasn't uh, because he was a bad person. It was because he was confused. You scared? This, this I mean, is like, not yeah, how emotions. he saw this playing out. Yeah. And so he's like, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And he failed. He failed. See, Jesus isn't afraid of failure. Jesus can forgive failure. That's good. Jesus loves to forgive failure and he loves to change us. And we shouldn't be afraid of failure. We should learn from it. We should develop from it. All I'm saying today is grace is that power to overcome those things that would drag us away yeah. from the purpose and will of God. And we don't have to live in that life of being beat down by sin. Even when we fail from yeah. it, we get up, 
we we encounter God, we repent, which just means to turn and move the other direction. And uh, you know, I, people have asked me over. I've had people ask me over the years, well, how do you how do you differentiate between the Holy Spirit convicting? Yeah. And then the enemy trying to bring the condemnation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this is, to me, now you may, let me know if I'm off here. It's pretty you're, simple. You're I said, off. well, yeah, <laughs> I'll just say it before you hear that. I said, well, when when the Holy Spirit convicts, and then we should, it's this you said, leads us to repentance, we should right. say and repent before God. Right. And then, then I truly believe that there's a peace that comes upon yes. us. Yes. I said, here's how you know if it's not, the Holy Spirit, is that you follow that process, but then you just keep hashing it, keep it yeah. keeps burdening you. Even after you've given it over to God, right. you just keep feeling guilty right. over and over and over. And you're not doing it anymore, but you right. just keep going back, yeah. reliving that. Yeah. That's the enemy trying to yeah. bring condemnation. And, and both of those things can be working at the same time. Yes. The Holy Spirit yes. can be convicting you, and the devil can be accusing you mm-hmm. and attacking your mind and your thoughts. and tor- If it has anything to do with torment... That yeah, is not true. the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah. I would also say that, uh, you know, God is long suffering. He's not quick to give up on us or quick to throw us yeah. out or quick. But, but I will say this, there's a, there's a confusion. If you're not saved, if you're not in a relationship with God or born again, you know, everyone wants to quote that scripture, you know, God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him. But the second, the next scripture says, and God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world. Yeah but that the world through him might be saved. So yes, Jesus is not accusing. He's not pointing a finger of judgment. He's not here to condemn. He's here to save. However, that doesn't mean that condemnation doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And rightly so, because in that same chapter at the end, it says people who are unregenerate or don't know Christ are condemned already. Mm -hmm. You stand condemned. If I'm not in a relationship with Christ, I stand in condemnation. I'm not going to go to heaven. I'm going to go to hell. I am being judged as we speak, until that changes in me. And so the Holy Spirit then comes and draws me to Christ. Mm -hmm. I have a relationship with Christ, and He saves me, regenerates me, changes me, and He forgives me and removes that sin far from me, as far as the East is from the West. You keep digging it back up, that's the devil. That's the accuser. That's That's why John uses that language that's legal language, and he talks about a courtroom. Jesus is our advocate, our lawyer. Yes. Jesus is our defense attorney. The enemy is the prosecutor. He's coming with all these accusations, and they're talking to God, and they're saying, God, he's saying, God, Look, they, they can't do this. Look, they're not good. They're not strong enough. Look, they're failing. Look, they sinned again, God. Look at it. Look at it. And 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 and, and then the, our advocate, our lawyer stands up and says, uh, Judge, I'd just like to remind you that the penalty's been paid. The sentence has already been handed out and the penalty's already been paid. Mm-hmm. They're not guilty. As long as we're repenting and in good relationship, not guilty. Mm-hmm. Right? I think I think one thing that we have to say though in the context of all this is that it is not okay to let sin as Christians and believers to let sin run rampant in our lives. Right. And I think oh and I'm going to ask a question that's going to take this in a little bit different direction but it's going to be interesting. And this may be our provocative thought for uh, for provocative the, thought. Yeah. So <laughs> How much, this is going to go in a different direction, but, but it's going to be good. How much 
has political correctness played in this almost seeing our Christianity through a world view? Mm -hmm. And how has that affected our handling our own Christianity and holiness personally and the overall scheme of the word of God and what God wants us to declare? How has it affected us? Has it affected us? And if it has, how has it? And, uh, and what do you think we should do about it? Nobody wants to answer That's that. That's a loaded I would, question. <laughs> I would say it's so hard. I've never led a church as a senior pastor, so this is very, depends on what context <laughs> you're in. But I have seen, and I might make a different decision if I'm ever in that seat, but I've seen leaders that I thought should answer in a more truthful way, not in a harsh way, right? but a truth and love way. And they beat around the bush because of political correctness, not wanting to offend maybe a certain group of people or a certain ideology or thought, uh, consensus thought that people in our nation have. And really sacrifice what the word says at the altar of being approved by the masses. In, I, the, in the name of... Making sure we reach everybody. Right, in the name of yeah. making sure we reach everybody. And that's hard. And I've never been yeah. in front of thousands of people having to answer for the majority of Christians in the American, yeah. you know, uh, population. But I would say if I'm ever in that seat or in that opportunity, I would hope that my foundation in the Word would come out over the want to be approved by the masses. Yeah. But Jesus was. Oh, he, of course. Jesus was a very, very popular person. Thousands of people followed him. At times he was. And Jesus was. At certain times. Well, at times he had thousands of people following him, but right. he was known throughout Galilee, right. throughout his uh, area. He was a yeah. very popular person. So, and he was forced in public to answer very hard questions. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, you know, Jesus only got heavy with uh, people who were in the church. That is so untrue. That Eat is my not flesh, true. drink my blood. Well, and it wasn't just that. It was like he addressed sin. Yeah. He addressed it. And he was forgiving of it. And he spoke the truth in love, but he never shied from truth. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, how can we help but allow, if we won't speak truthfully about sin, then how does that keep from us minimizing it in our own lives. Do you understand what yeah. I'm saying? Like if look, I, I stand by this word. If this word says something is sin, right. it's sin. Right. Now I'm not a person who's going to categorize sin and say this sin is worse than exactly. that sin yeah. or this yeah. is worse than that. I mean, cause it's so funny to me. I saw some meme the other day. It was like, these people, blah, 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 are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, you left out half the list. <laughs> if you're going to make a list, you left out half of it. Yeah. And probably, probably the half, that yeah. you're in. That you're in. <laughs> God is always for people. Right. He's always for people to, uh, you know, believe on him and to do, you know, fall in line with his will and choose to follow him. But he does hate sin. Yeah. And the Bible says we are supposed to hate sin. Right. Yeah. The the missing of the mark, the not being righteous. So, so why have we, why have we gone so far the other way? I can tell you what my thought is, is because 
because we didn't know at one season in the church and the and believers, we didn't know how to speak truthfully about sin and not be harsh and mean uh, yeah. to people. Right. We 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 took we took that that truth about sin and we made it a club to hit people and over people the head. People are afraid of being grafted into that category. Right. Right. Listen, I, here's what I say. Look, if it's in the Word of God and the Bible says it's wrong, then unequivocally yeah. it's wrong. I'm not going to make uh, I'm not going to make excuses for it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say because it's not just wrong for you. It's not yeah. just wrong for you. It's wrong for me. Right. right. And and here's the thing. Um, now I, I want I do want to make one delineation because sin, the reason God hates sin is obviously because He's holy and. And that is unrighteousness. But the reason he hates sin more than anything else is because it hurts us. Right. right. It hurts us. It's like me saying to my kid, don't touch that boiling pot of water. It's not because I'm I'm mad at you and you will not touch that water because yeah. I said you will not touch it. No. It's because I know that you could absolutely scar your face. You could kill yourself with a boiling pot of water as a little toddler. We would have to change. It could mar your life for the rest of your life. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not going to let my kid touch that. And as a matter of fact, I'm even going to turn the handle away from them. I'm going to tell them to stay away from the stove because Mm -hmm. it's a warning, warning, warning. This is going to hurt you. Yeah. And I think, I think we have just been afraid to say the truth and when we're and when we're afraid to speak the truth about in in society about what's right and what's wrong, then what happens is it minimize it minimize it minimizes <laughs> the effect and impact of, and in our own lives, and so it right. dumbs everything down. Yeah. yeah, and that's how we. I mean, it's a trickling effect. If that's hitting the main leadership of the church at large in America, yeah, then how? I mean. What do we think is going to happen? The people who are coming into our churches believing on God, it's going to be at a lower level than than what we're not, by the help of the Holy Spirit, living up to what God wants us to live up to. And that's why we can't carry the weight. Like That's why we're not seeing people discipled. And all of these things trickle down from the top. Because God's not going to ask. I'm not going to ask Lindley to carry all of our groceries into the house. She's three years old. Right. She can't bring food into the house yet. Yeah. And so how are we supposed to produce for God um, if we're not strong enough? Yeah. If we're not built up. Yeah. So we got to grow. We got to develop. We got to think holiness. We got to pursue. The Bible says we should pursue holiness. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, one thing that I want to, just think about it in terms of political correctness is we have a responsibility to speak the truth in love. Yeah. I wanted to go back to the one thing that people say, all sin is the same, blah, blah, blah. That is actually not true. All sin is not the same. Jesus makes a particular distinction and the distinction he makes is with sexual sin. Yeah. And I'm just talking about homosexuality or, or transgenderism or, or anything like that. I'm talking about anything sexual yeah. and here's why. Because it doesn't just, it's not just an offense to God or an offense to the person and people that are involved. It is an offense to your own body. The deepest part of right. your body. And I mean, if you think about it, when the sexual revolution hit, there were a handful of incurable 
sexually transmitted diseases. Mm -hmm. There are over 150 now. And people want to try to tell you, well, one, there, there's no causality there. There's absolutely causality. When you are absolute, when you are, when you're literally just running your life with no parameters, the very thing you're calling freedom is actually your, your, your slave owner, yeah, and you absolutely. are a slave to it, and you will recompense. It will be recompensed to you. There are physical ramifications. It's for so your funny sin. because and Jesus was trying to tell us, "Don't do this yeah. to yourself." Right. He wasn't saying, "I'm mad at you and you're ugly and I, yeah. you will not do it because I'm the king." He was saying, "Look, I love you. Don't hurt yourself like yeah. this." Now, I'm not trying to. If people are struggling, if you're if you're listening to this and you're struggling with sexual sin or perversion or pornography or yeah. any of these things, homosexuality, fornication. Whatever that I'm not saying that those sins are worse than other sins in terms of God's holiness and God's judgment, anything like that. I'm saying, but for us, mm -hmm. it messes with our mentality. It messes with our heart. Look at what it does to you emotionally. Yeah. Look at what it does mm -hmm. Just, when it we take something your identity. Right when we take something sacred mm -hmm. and we make it something, yeah, casual. It, it wrecks us in so many different ways. Right. And people can say it doesn't all. Just look, you, you can't get, look around us yeah. at the crazy confusion that's going on internally yeah. and among people yeah. and in our own hearts sometimes because it just, am I going crazy? Are they going crazy? Who's going crazy? I mean, yeah. that's how it feels because sin is running rampant, this lawless kind of mindset. And so I'm just saying everyone who who hears us talking about holiness and talking about being pure and walking as a Christian and speaking the truth in love, they need to understand the purpose behind it all is God loves you. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus loves you. You're, he wants you to be in his family. He wants you to be his kid. And he knows that that's going to destroy you. Yeah. yeah, and God's not a God that just says, hey, do better. Come on, do better. Mm -hmm. Just do better. He gets. He actually gets involved in your situation. And gives you the power to and do it. And gives better. you the power yeah. to do it. And through that... He develops real maturity in us, which my definition for that, I've heard this a long time ago when I was younger, but it's just a consistent application of elementary principles. That's what maturity is. Continuing to pray, continuing to be in the Word, continuing to seek after God every day, renewing your mind, consistently doing that like we've talked about. Yeah. And those things will fall away. Right. Um, are you still going to have thoughts? Yeah, especially if you're a guy. Is there still going to be times and where... Girls are just the same. Yeah, I know, but I mean, sure they are. But I'm saying, for, I'm talking to just guys. I don't know how a girl's perspective is. <laughs> but just stimulate, like vision stimulates us. And yes, so we see right. something, and especially if we can't have it, we want it sometimes. And you have to immediately arrest that thought. You have to get into the word. Well, it says take um, your thoughts captive. Right, that's right. Take every thought captive. Mm -hmm. Um and so just consistently doing those things, allowing God Listen to, to how aggressive that is. Take it captive. Like that's a When you take something thing. captive, you're literally like mm -hmm. fighting for something. Yeah, yeah you're, you are. Yeah. Uh, it's like, think of cops, the show cops, yeah. when someone's arrested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, it's that aggressive. Tackled in the street. You have thoughts that are out of control yeah. and they're disobedient to God. Take them captive. And it doesn't say God takes them captive Set. for you. It says, it says you, you take, take them captive. captive. Right. Yeah. You take them captive. That's good stuff, guys. Something I think is 
you know, like when we were talking about truth and love, and a lot of times when you speak the truth in love, it is offensive because sometimes mm-hmm. the gospel and the word of God is offensive, is offensive. to people yes, a of lot of times. And most of the time, most of the time. And people are offended because you relate offense with hurt and it hurts yeah. your heart. Like it yeah. hurts mm-hmm. where you're at in your life. And so when you're pointed, like if you have a wound or something and someone like, points their finger on it yeah that's painful that's good yeah. but yeah. correction how many i think i was thinking earlier about like what in your body needs corrected your teeth when you i don't know if y'all ever had braces but yeah. that freaking hurts yes. yeah braces hurt like when yeah. you break a bone or yeah. get something popped out of place and you get it corrected that hurts like right. everything that needs to be yeah. corrected is rarely ever not painful that's right. and i think the same thing with sin because you have to have an awareness first and when it is corrected or when someone points it out it's like it stings yeah and yeah. I mean, when God purifies you and refines you and it takes pressing, like mm-hmm. you have to press the ugly to get the pure out. Yeah, yeah. And so I think truth and love a lot of times is seen as offensive, right. but it's in love. Yeah. It's out of love. And sometimes you know, it's painful. It's so true when you say someone points it out or someone, if someone were to stick their finger in your cut, yeah, that would hurt. Yeah. yeah. But it also hurts when someone bandages your cut. Yeah. Yeah. The healing process. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it's that's such a great analogy. And and um, so true. And I just think we got to the point where we don't want in, any pain, any hurt. And funny, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this next time. But the, the next thing he talks about here is that our, that our purity comes out of us when we go through hard, difficult circumstances. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are times, and this is the truth. I mean, I've been saved for over 30 years. I've been living for Jesus for a long time. I would never change it. I've had ups and downs in my relationship with God. I have sinned. I have I have messed up big time in different times. And then I've done really extremely well at different times. And God's always walking me through. He's always being gracious to me. He's always loving me. And I have to remember, it's not my job to judge anybody. Yeah. But it is my job to speak the truth. Yeah. Right. And we're confusing the difference. We're speak. We're yeah, absolutely. Confu- we're saying. We're saying speaking the truth is judging because right. a lot of times we're listening to people who feel bad about their sin being pointed out. Mm-hmm. And it's not like when you say pointed out, it's not like we're going around saying you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. Right. Although Apostle Paul would do that in church. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he did things a little differently. He'd call people out and. Yeah. I'm not saying that we should do that or that's the right thing to do in our culture today, but here's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not the same thing to speak the truth in love and be judging. Right. And so just because someone says, stop judging me, it doesn't mean you're judging them. Right. And just because something is said doesn't make it true. Mm-hmm. And so what we have to do is we have to remember that it's going to make us unpopular. They didn't love him. Right. They're not going to always love us. Yeah. You know, the world didn't treat, I don't know if everybody realizes this, but the world crucified Jesus. Yeah. And when we say crucify, we need to understand what that means. They executed him. Yeah. Harshly. He was innocent and they executed yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And why? Because he, he, his whole self pointed out the, out the unrighteousness of man. Right. Yeah. But I will be honest, uh, there are times, even when I'm preaching a message and I'm like, I'm really getting, I'm like, oh man, I am going to speak this truth and it's going to penetrate hearts and people need to hear this. And God will say to me, you need to hear this. Yeah. 
And, and so I think that's what the relation, like Connor was saying, that's what the relationship with God is all about. Yeah. Is God is yeah. not, he, he's not a father that goes, you will do right. And I don't care how hard you have to try. I don't care if your life is miserable. You will do right. No, he's a father that goes, look, this is what's right. This is what's going to be best yeah. for you. Mm-hmm. This is what's going to keep you from being injured or hurt. But you know what? I'm going to help you do it. Yeah, if you had a good dad, if anybody listening to this has a great dad, yeah, just imagine that times a million. Times a million, that's right. Yeah, I mean, the best. Yeah, yeah. I think my dad was a great dad. Yeah, and he loves me very much. But I know if if my dad is just an ounce of what God is, right. then why wouldn't I want to serve him? Why yeah. wouldn't I want to do whatever I could? I can for him? still in my ears hear my dad's voice going. David Bryan, stop running yeah. across the street. Because we had this really busy street in front of our house. It was between our house and our church when I was a kid. <laughs> and so as soon as church was over, I was going home, y'all, get some food. And yeah. I, I was just a little kid. And I mean, there would be cars come flying down that road. And mm-hmm. I would just not even look, poof, run across that road. And my dad would say, David, stop. And we did that with Lindley yesterday. She was running out from the car. I grabbed her. Yeah. And, 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 but for some reason, our perspective, and it's the sin that mars our thinking. Mm -hmm. Our perspective is, I just want to run. I just want to get across the street. I just want to do my thing. It feels good. Yeah. Yeah. This feels good. God wants me to be happy. Right. Exactly. God would want me to run across the street. He'd want me to feel that excitement. He'd want me to. And God's back there just saying, Please, you're going to get hit. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and be careful. Right. If you ever tell your leader in your life something like Scotty just said, God just wants me to be happy, you pretty much just threw down the card for them not to tell you anything. <laughs> yeah. Because once you put yeah. the God card down, you've immediately almost paralyzed your leader from ever telling you. Yeah, then well, you're like, you, they're like, okay, well. Well, what you've said to them is... I am not going to listen to right. a word you say after this right. because yeah. I've you're citing the God card yeah. like you said. God, yeah, God has told me. Right. Yeah. You know, I was yeah. thinking too that with going into the political correctness, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people in the church have judged when they've so come true. out, and so true. it's just pure straight yeah. judgment. Yeah. Yeah. They are they are judging the condition of people's heart. Yeah. That's not speaking the truth. No. Because we're not judged. It's now we, we can we can look at people's fruit and judge and we can think right. make judgments, but not be judgmental. Absolutely. And right. and so we you know, I think that's been part of the problem uh with well, Christians have been judged, jury, and execution. Absolutely. And we I mean, to be real, the church often has and pastors themselves have spoken against people that aren't even in the church. Right. Like we think someone that doesn't know Christ would live a life according yeah. to the word of God. Yeah. Right. And why, we're putting we, that upon them. Why are we expecting people who aren't in relationship with Jesus to act like they are? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And and because it's, yeah, to so me, in my honest opinion, that's just pure cowardice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're standing behind a pulpit with a bunch of people. You're preaching to the choir and you're talking about the neighbor. Absolutely. And yeah. and the truth is it's, a, it's ridiculous. Right. It's judgmental. It's not your job. And let's just be honest. Let's yeah. just be truthful. Most of the time when we're judgmental, we are literally just calling out something that is a reflection. Yeah, absolutely. Of We've seen it throughout all of history. I mean, yeah. Good Lord, how many times have we seen big celebrities come out and, I mean, big celebrity pastors come out and this is wrong and that is wrong. And then you find out 90 days later, yeah. they were preaching to themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I just It just breaks my heart when we use Christianity as like a social superiority 
instead of just loving people. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And that's exactly what you're you're saying. We've used it to flex some kind of muscle because we're insecure. Mm -hmm. We don't even know how to relate with people because we're so insecure. And we should just be loving. Every church should be. You're right, man. Every church should be a haven for anybody in any condition of life to come in. Even if they're <laughs> opposing to the church, yeah. oh, no. it should be a place where they come can come in. in my seat. I'll yeah. sit somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. It, it, yeah. You know, it, it should be this where you come in and feel like, man, I know they see me. Yeah. yeah. I know they know I'm different. I know. But you know what? They just love me anyway. Yeah. yeah. That's you, what, see, that's the difference. That's the difference of Jesus. That's yeah. the difference. Yes. He spoke unequivocal truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody doesn't want to say the fact that he looked at that woman who was caught in the act of adultery yes. and was being judged yes. and said, Go and sin no more, right. which means he called out her sin and told her to stop doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Children right. at any moment can just run up to. Yeah. Him. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. here's the deal. So, so the, the 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 idea of him not speaking truth. He was so clear about truth. Yes. Right. But he was so loving of mm-hmm. people. Yeah. He just loved even the Pharisees, even the Sadducees. Yeah, when he, he would confront them about their religion, he still loved yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. Because he, he stood on the hill in Jerusalem and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you to myself yeah. as a hen doth her chicks and yeah. you will not have it. That's yeah. love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? So... I think I think a lot of what we've talked about today, even in terms of the political correctness, I think a lot of it has to do with we have recreated in our own minds who Jesus really is. Yeah. And we've tried to mate him in our image instead going. of us being yeah. made in his. And we've recontextualized the Bible to make it say what yeah. we want it to say to fit us. And here's what the Bible is. The Bible is this love letter from God that expresses his love to us. And it, it talks about itself so clearly that it's a double-edged sword. And it's, it's like, alive, it man. cuts you and it heals you. Mm-hmm. Like God puts it in and it cuts you and you go, oh, and then he pulls it out and go, and he goes, you know, heals it up and yeah. says, aren't you better now? Mm-hmm. And so we as humans that are flawed need that correction. Uh, amen. When it, and, 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 and then if that's not true, then why do we correct our kids ever? He chases yeah. those he loves. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. He corrects those he loves. Yeah. And if he doesn't correct you... He doesn't love you. <laughs> so... There's that. We say, all that <laughs> we say all that to say God is good. Amen. And his grace is sufficient in every situation. And if you fail, he's still good. And if you get it right, he's still good. And here's the thing that people need to remember about God. God is not moved. He is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not go up and down. So like mm-hmm. when you sin and fail, God's not like, oh, what, what are we going to do? Mercy is new every morning. That's right. Yeah. He's like, it's going to be okay, kid. Yeah. It's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we need to hear it in our head. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you fall down or you do something wrong or you get angry, you need to hear it in your head. Hey, hey, that mm-hmm. it, no, no. You know, my dad taught me something. I'm going to close with this. I'm going to close the podcast with this. My dad came to me one time and he said, he set me down when I, when I became a parent, when Taylor was born, he set me down and he said, he said, David, I want to, I want to give you a little bit of advice. I don't know why I'm sorry. Got emotional, but he said, when I was raising you guys, uh, he said, I was under the assumption, and I don't know why, but I was under the assumption that if I showed any tenderness 
after disciplining you, I was it was being weak and it erased whatever discipline mm. I gave you. And so I would spank you if you needed a spanking and that was the end of it. Spank you and walk out or punish you and leave you to yourself. Mm. And he said, if I could give you any advice at all, it would be when you discipline your children or when you have to punish them because of defiance or when you teach them, do it all in love. Love and compassion and grace doesn't weaken correction. It strengthens it. Mm-hmm. And he's, and so so my kids always, if I ever had to discipline, even get them on, onto them, or if I had to spank them, or if I had to ground them or whatever I had to do, immediately following that, put them in my arms. I love you, and I want you to understand that the reason I'm doing this is because I love you. I'm not mad at you, but you. this has to be corrected in you because this is going to cause you problems. And I would speak this, even when they were little, I would speak this to them, and I would hug them, and I would hold them. So they're feeling my embrace with the correction. And one thing I would say to people today is if you're failing or if you're having sin or if you're having issues and you can't seem to get over, God will correct you, but listen to me. It comes in this package of total love and grace. It does not come in a package of hate. This is why I always tell parents, don't don't be angry when you punish your kids because they won't get it. They won't understand. They'll just think, mom's mad, I'm in trouble. Dad's mad, I'm in trouble. They won't get that the reason they're being disciplined is because of love. And so uh, that's that's how we need to see it. Every time, every time, it's like, hey, but that's not the way to go. Let me let me help you up here. Dust yourself off. Let's try this again. Mm-hmm. Let's try that's it good. again. All right. Love you guys.